today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. School starting today for many kids. Uh, what was it like last night in your house if you have kids? Uh, I certainly know what it was like in mine. Uh, my, my son showed up at my bedside uh, this morning with his knapsack already on. It's like, really? <laughs> really? Uh, but, but good. And then the other one, you can't get out of bed. It's bizarre how it all works. Uh, lots of anxiety, lots of excitement. How do we cope? How do we move forward? Let's bring in Beverly Bowerman King, stress and wellness expert. Work smart, livesmart.com to find out more. She is with us now. Beverly, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate this. You're welcome. I guess no two kids uh, are the same when it comes to this sort of thing. How do we explain why some love it, some and don't seem to get bothered by it, and others, oh my goodness, it's the end of the world? Personality absolutely plays a role in, in some of this, and, and also experience. So what did, uh, how did they end last year? You know, what was all going on in the year before? Or what have they heard about their new teacher or their, you know, the new uh, students that they're going to be in class with? So uh, certainly that plays a role. And for some, that's exciting, and it's, it's a, a great experience. And for others, it can produce all kinds of anxiety. You know, you bring up a valid point, and I say this to, to my kids every year, uh, especially my daughter who's going into grade 11 this year, so it's a big year for her, um, and, and always gets, uh, uh, you know, small amounts of anxiety heading into the day. And, and you know, I keep saying to her, you've done this before. It's, it's no different than last year, except this year you're better, you know, prepared, more experienced, that sort of thing. How does comparing the past help them look forward? I think it, it really... Um helps them in in looking at the ways that they've problem solved in the past because when you're filled with stress and anxiety you may forget all of the things that you've overcome already and having a parent or having a teacher or having a good friend who can remind you that you've done this before that you've achieved certain things or that you know the world didn't come to an end just because you didn't uh, get a great mark on something so you know somebody who can remind of those things helps them then to be able to pull that into the forefront and help to minimize the stress that they're facing I know uh, my son was a little uh, concerned today because apparently he has no one in his class this year. Uh, it's just him and a whole pile of other strangers. How, how do you uh, help kids when it comes to their friends or being outside of their peer group? I think it's, it's interesting, too, because we often do make mountains out of mohills, or we do over-exaggerate things. Like, there's no one that we know. And there <laughs> probably is, are people that he's met before or that he's hung out with before. It's just not that core group of friends that he was really looking forward to. So, again, talking about how you'll still see them on the playground, you'll still be able to hang out with them after school, and it's an opportunity to get to know some new people. So really looking at what the opportunities are in some of these circumstances, as well as talking about how last year Maybe they said the same thing. Uh, what about when it comes to homework and getting back into that routine? Again, that's a, a tough one. It's tough for parents. It, it's between that and lunches. I think those are the two mm. biggest stressors that you know when we talk about uh, kids going back to school. Um, having a set routine around homework, having some set rules around homework, um, so that it's not kind of as they get to it, uh, because I think that's when parents start to do. Um, you know, kind of the reminders and the nagging, and it's, it's very difficult. So if it's a set time, then, you know, you can set a timer, or it's on the calendar, and then they know that that's when it's to be done, and it's not kind of at the whim of a parent. Uh, what about sleep patterns and getting that all back to normal? 
Again, uh, one of my big suggestions was to start a little while ago. Mm. But if you're just starting now, you know, not as all lost. It's you know, there was a lot of excitement, so it was easy for kids to get up this morning. Um, as the the days and the weeks kind of drag on, it maybe get harder. So, really focusing on what is the optimal time for your child to go to bed, and that may be very different, even within a family, as to what's the best time based on personality and based on kind of age and, and those types of things. So, look for the best time so that they get the most amount of sleep, that they wake up refreshed, they wake up naturally. Naturally, it's not a, a, a chore trying to get them up out of bed and, and help them to be responsible for their bedtime and their, their um, time that they have to get up in the morning. Uh, we hear an awful lot about kids and anxiety uh, these days, yet we all know anxiety is a part of everyone's life. It's a part of life. How do you know when things are normal? How do you know when things are getting out of hand? I think the biggest thing is to look for the impact and the length of the impact that it's having. And so it's not uncommon for kids to be nervous on the first day of school. It's not uncommon for them to be anxious before a test. It's not uncommon for them to be uh, worried about, you know, a, a, a big presentation. It's when those anxieties kind of flow over into other parts of the school day, when it flows over into kind of uh, the evening or trying to get to bed or trying to get up in the morning, when it starts to take over and interfere, that's when we really need to look at what's going on, how can we help them cope, what strategies maybe do they not quite um, have enough of, and how can we help them to garner those, those strategies, and how can we help to keep things in perspective for them. What about signs and signals that, you know, your kids might be having problems? What, you should, what, what should you keep your eye on? I mean, I guess, you know, theoretically you're supposed to know your kid more than anyone, but, but you know, are there certain signs there that are obvious that we may be missing? Some signs are obvious, and then some signs it's really difficult to tell. Even if you know your kid and you talk all the time, you may be missing them, because sometimes we write it off to being a teenager who's going through hormonal changes or, or things like that. So look for uh, changes in, in behaviors and attitudes uh, where they maybe are more withdrawn, maybe they're more angry, uh, they're more frustrated, uh, they're having more meltdowns. Those types of things where they're happening more frequently may give you an indication that something's going on. Uh, you may notice that they're uh, pulling away from uh, the friends that they used to have. What's happening? Why is that happening? Is there a, a bullying issue? Is there uh, a self-confidence issue? Is there something happening that maybe you can talk about? And then just questioning, you know, how's the day been going? What kinds of things did they get involved with? Who have they, who are they talking to? Because those kinds of um, conversations may give you some clues and indicators. What about uh, the nervousness, uh, again, in this first week and such? Uh, you know, some may even get to the point where they're feeling nauseous. You talked about techniques. What can you do to kind of calm yourself down in all of these scenarios? Helping your children to learn some of those relaxation strategies is going to be really helpful. So helping them to do some deep breathing. And there, there's some fun ways to teach uh, even really young kids about how to do deep breathing, how to do some thought-stopping. Um, so, you know, red light, green light, yellow light, there's those kinds of, of games and activities that you can use to help teach children how to do some of those more adult kinds of relaxation behaviors and, and thought-stopping behaviors. Um, even something as simple as having a relaxation stone, something that they can rub, you know, when they're feeling really anxious. So sometimes tactile or behavioral things can help them calm themselves mentally. And, and really talking to your teacher because they may be a really good resource for coming up with some of those strategies. And what about counseling? When, do you, when does it get to the point where perhaps you should look for outside help? When it's starting to interfere with their ability to get to school, to make friends, to, 
to study, um, to participate in, in being a kid, that's when we really look at kind of reaching out and, and looking for supports. And it may be um, something as simple as just talking to an EAP through your workplace and, and getting some helpful strategies from them or taking your child to see their, their family doctor. Maybe there's some health issues that you need to have checked out. Uh, and then, you know, getting a referral to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a counselor who can help kind of look at different strategies or, or somebody that the child can confide in where maybe it's not apparent because maybe some of the issues they're having is that they, they don't feel comfortable telling their, their, uh, you know, their mom or dad that they, they don't understand or that they don't feel good in school. Uh, advice for parents, Beverly. I mean, you know, this helps the kids. What about what we're going through? Uh, try to keep it in perspective. It's not the, uh, you know, if your child isn't doing well, it's not the be-all and the end-all. You know, things... Uh, you know, there's, there's supports and helps available to help your child through that. Uh, make sure that you're taking care of yourself. There's nothing uh, more stressful than raising a child. And if you are at the end of your rope and you're not getting enough sleep and you're not eating right or, or giving yourself some energy, it's really hard to buffer yourself against some of the challenges that you may be facing. Is this time of year tough for parents? Anytime there's a transition, it's tough. So we talk about, you know, going back to school. Uh, it may be a, um, a time where even the holidays, you know, we talk about coming up for the December holidays or March break or uh, the end of school. All of those different types of transition are hard because they're a change in routine. They're a change in expectation. And those changes can bring about all kinds of anxieties. What about the device and managing the device? I mean, you know, it's a part of life now. It's a part of of their school as well, a part of their education. Uh, how do you balance this? What are some of the concerns in the in the major uh, challenges you're hearing? Screen time is really important, and again, we use it for relaxation. We we use it for learning. Um, it, but it's balancing it out with, um, you know, those children that are trying to escape. Uh, and it may be escaping chores, it may be escaping responsibilities, it may be escaping people, um, it may be, you know, not you know, their way of hiding from having conversations about things that are really kind of touchy or, or sensitive. So look for why they may be doing certain things and then monitor how long, because I think often um, they have a very different perspective of how long they've been using certain devices than what we do. So start timing it out and, and showing them how much time they're actually using. And see if there's other things that could engage them in different ways. So are they doing that at the kind of expense of hanging out with friends or with um, the expense of not exercising and taking care of themselves? What about when it comes to sleep and such? Where should these units be? Where should they be in relation to your kid? Uh, Again, I think each parent's going to have a, a different response or different thought around that. Uh, we know that you know the lights from our devices can interrupt sleep. So if your child is a great sleeper, goes to bed, has wakes up refreshed, then it's probably not an issue for them to have it in their bedroom. But if they're a child who's not getting enough sleep, they have trouble falling asleep, they have trouble getting up in the morning, they they're not really um, functioning well, then those devices may be contributing to their sleep issues. How long will it take for this to for the kids to get back to normal? How long will it take for them to get back into the you know the the day to day routine of this all? Part of 
that depends on how long they've been out of the routine. So if they were going to daycare during the summer or they were at a camp and it was, it was pretty much regimented, then it's going to be quite easy for them to get back into the routine of school. For those, though, that it, you know, there was very little routine, it's going to take a little while, and it could take a couple of weeks for them to get into the full routine as, school, as they get further into kind of school and homework and tests and, and incorporating them into the day-to-day stuff. Are the summers too long for the kids, in your opinion? I don't think anybody in Canada believes that summer is too long. <laughs> it always goes by too quickly and too soon. Uh, the, you know, the good weather kind of starts to fade away. Uh, but I think, you know, for some children, being away from learning for too long might be an issue. So yeah. it's, you know, each child is different, and you, sometimes you need to kind of give them a little bit of a refresher. But that can be done in so many fun ways throughout the summer, um, even while you're vacationing. So... Uh, it's just kind of monitoring it and seeing how difficult those changes are for your children. Uh, best advice moving forward for parents? Find a way to get a routine as quickly as possible, and that's with where you place stuff and how you manage breakfast and, and the morning routine for getting up and getting to the bus or, or getting in the car, whatever kind of method you take to get your children to school. But the more routine you ca- can have, uh, especially for children who are highly anxious, the more that they can count on that and use that as kind of the stable environment uh, and, and kind of leapfrogging into some of those other more anxious situation. People in your industry now busier at this time of year now that kids are back? More issues? Uh, I think in, you know, it takes a little while for the issues to show. So they, you know, there may be problems starting to go up, but I think as far as counselors and those types of things go, generally it's not for another couple of weeks um, before we start to, to kind of have the, the phones ringing and some concerns brought forward. Beverly Bowerman King has been with us, stress and wellness expert, worksmartlivesmart.com to find out more. Beverly, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know, uh, it was fascinating in, in what we talked about prior to the uh, long weekend. And, of course, uh, the NAFTA deal and uh, uh, President Trump and Mexico signing their own deal. And then Donald Trump basically saying, hey, we got a deal done. If you don't want to jump on board, that sh- you know, that's tough, uh, tough for you. And, uh, by the way, you got till Friday to do it. And, of course, Friday came and went. And um, I'm not sure what's different now. Let's bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. He is with us now. Elliot, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Always, uh, always welcome. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, obviously tried to leverage his deal with Mexico to try to get Canada to uh, sign a deal by Friday. It was pretty obvious what his tone was uh, leading up till Friday. Now that that deadline has passed, what does it say about that technique? Has, did, it, uh, did it work? Well, it did work in the sense that, totally unexpectedly, the United States made a decision to sp- divide and conquer, basically, to have a separate deal with Mexico. This was unexpected. And uh, even to the Mexicans who said, well, yes, we'll, we'll sit down and talk about the key, one of the key stumbling blocks for every new NAFTA, which was automobiles, rules of origin, all the wage differential, all the issues around around automotive uh, products, which has really been one of the key stumbling blocks all along for NAFTA in terms of American perception. Uh, this was supposed to have been 
okay, well, a surprise, America is going to sit down with Mexico and try to fix, and successfully did fix, one of the thorniest problems moving, removing their barrier to moving ahead on NAFTA. But they went beyond that, and they, they said, okay, now we've settled that. Let's talk about other parts of, of NAFTA. Let's talk about a, a free trade agreement between Mexico and, and uh, the United States. This apparently caught the Mexicans a bit by surprise. They went ahead. We just heard that from the deputy foreign minister of Mexico. And uh, they went ahead and negotiated not a actual full-fledged free trade agreement, but some parameters for moving towards, some principles mm. moving toward a free trade agreement. Well, this, this has uh, more than one implication, but the major one is that suddenly uh, the Americans apparently had decided to split off Mexico, thereby putting Canada under intense pressure. Mm. Uh, this was not expected at all by any party. If anything, there was some concern by Mexico that the deal would be done with Canada because there's a lot of agreement on, automo- on the key issue, of one of the key issues, on automobile issues. So, um, so let's keep in mind that this, first of all, we're only in the situation of talking about NAFTA because Trump wanted to do so. He campaigned on it, saying that's a terrible deal. In fact, all of America's trade deals are terrible, and NAFTA is the worst of them all. And he could have done so much better. Now he's showing he's going to do better by uh, threatening to make Canada capitulate based on this sudden uh, agreement with Mexico. So that certainly did seem to get Canada's attention last week. But now that we didn't bite, I guess, or or did we, um, because we didn't sign on. I mean, and now we're talking again as of Wednesday, I guess. So. Um, is the pressure still on Canada, or they, have they called his bluff, so to speak? No, I don't think his bluff was called. I think when you see the, the principles start to sit at the table, that is, when you have not the mediating team, which has been set aside to negotiate, and Canada's uh, team, by the way, has an excellent reputation, a uh, very high-quality negotiating team, they kicked it up to their uh, superiors, that is, to the foreign minister, in this case, under Lighthouse. Or so uh, the... Um, the, the seriousness of this is still on. The deadline was only slightly re- relaxed. I mean, again, this was an American-created deadline. Right. Uh, so uh, the fact that they, this has gone ahead uh, to, let's say, well, we'll keep talking, and everybody, including our foreign minister, will be back at the table on Wednesday. But something critical happened because Trump did send to Congress a formal notification of the renegotiation of NAFTA uh, which it has a 90-day, uh, he, he's required by the act to give 90-day notice. So he has actually set in process a formal renewal of, uh, of NAFTA right. saying, but then he goes on to say, but we'll do it without Canada, and we'll, we'll just uh, go ahead with Mexico, and Congress, of course, is pushing back on that. But something did happen, and he did go ahead with the formal pulling right. of the trigger, so to speak, which really gives Canada 30 days to come up, it gives America 30 days to come up with a trilateral agreement, all three parties, by the end of September. So, Elliot, what was the advantage for Mexico to get a deal without Canada involved? If Canada was involved in these meetings, would it have been different? The difference was America was suddenly unexpectedly ready to deal. Right. Uh, that's, that's what they got. They got an American negotiating team that suddenly said, okay, uh, we're serious now. Let's get all these key key issues out of the way, and let's do it in a hurry, and let's reach agreement on things we've been negotiating on a trilateral basis 
for a year. So a lot of this, remember, has been pre-discussed, right. pre-negotiated, uh, and a lot of this, and to kick this up one higher level, including with Canada, a lot of this was already negotiated with the TPP. All three countries were members of the Trans-Pacific Partnership mm -hmm. Free Trade Agreement, which then the U.S. pulled out of. But a lot of these things on the table have already been discussed in, in fine detail and agreed to earlier. Is this a good deal for Mexico the way it sits? Mexico is, in a sense, caught. They cannot say, no, we want, we, we're not going to accept this good arrangement that they unexpectedly have. That is, anything that is a deal that doesn't disadvantage Mexico severely is a good arrangement from Mexico's point of view. And they got some things in there that they wanted. A tiny little detail. Um, it wasn't just about... As I said, it, it went beyond automobiles, it went into other sectors, it went into agriculture, and one of those was alcohol. So <laughs> Mexico's gotten an agreement with the U.S. that the U.S. can keep a distinctive designation for bourbon, and they can keep a distinctive uh, designation for tequila. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of fine detail in there. But the point is that Mexico really had no choice but right. to say, yes, if you're really, you know, suddenly, unexpectedly ready to deal. But they've made it clear that they want Canada in on this. And I'm sure there were conversations throughout all the negotiations with Canada. We were never frozen out uh, fully in terms of information, but we were frozen out in terms of an agreement in principle, at which was a divide-and-rule tactic, a very good one, actually, from the American perspective, putting Canada now uh, in the position of saying, yes, we, we want to deal, too, and Trump saying, well, we don't care whether you do or not. Yeah. That being said, a stumbling block Congress, uh, there's lots of people, uh, certainly lots of U.S. states that, that are uh, against this. Um, does this have any teeth? At the end of the day, will it be Congress that decides where this goes? Key members of Congress have said there's no way. This, one of the key leaders who I think was from Wisconsin, which is a key state for for cheese and dairy yeah. and all those things, but also a key voting state for the Trump uh, people, has said this is a red line for us. We are going to insist on Canada being included, or we're not going to go, you know, that he can't have his way on this. This is a red line for us. We want Canada in. Now, this is, on a, um, how can I put it gently, Congress has not been much to uh, Republicans standing up to the president. So a lot of what the Canadian position now is depending on and a lot of the commentary around all this is, oh, well, just relax, everybody, because Trump can't follow through on this, right. because it is an act, and that as a, is an act of Congress, and he can't unilaterally do this. And, you know, the Quebec uh, representative and NAFTA talks have said, oh, well, don't worry about it, so we can keep our supply management, because they can't. But I think, you know, it's worth certainly mentioning that. It's certainly worth reminding ourselves that uh, that's the case. But it should not be relied on as an absolute obstacle because this Congress has shown no ability to stand up to Trump. And in an election year, I think mm. it's even less, less likely when his pulling power for the base is so strong that he pretty well owns the Republican Party. So you don't think the congressional safety net is necessarily there? It's not It's not, how can I, let me put it this way. You'd better not bet on it being right, there. Right, right. Where does that leave Donald Trump if Congress says no? He said, well... Congress, you better not interfere. Well, Congress, if they had any backbone, said, wait a minute, we've delegated to the president, you in this case, the fast-track authority to negotiate a trade deal, but trade is actually a congressional, not a presidential prerogative. 
So they could say, come on now, we're equal. Well, three equal parts of the Constitution, we're, you can't do this. So they can go ahead and assert this. But also beyond that, it's just a really busy year. Now Trump is going to dump into uh, a Congress, and he wants to do this with this current sitting Congress. He says in order to protect the, Ameri- the Mexican president, who's out of office in December. But, you know, uh, you don't know what the next Congress is going to be in America either. So he's going to, he's telling everybody, we need to get this done with or without uh, Canada, and we're certainly willing to go ahead without Canada. And does the American Congress have either the backbone or the timetable uh, or the, the will to take on another fight with the president? Uh, uh, NAFTA, uh, on the issue of NAFTA, uh, Richard Trumka, the head of the yeah. AFL and CIO, America's largest union group, said on Fox News Sunday that it's pretty hard to see how NAFTA works without Canada. Uh, Trump ha- had uh, hoped that unions would lean on Democrats to back his approach. Then Trump, of course, puts out a tweet uh, and basically says some of the things that were, were said were so against the working men and women of our country and right. the success of the United States itself that it's easy to see why the unions are doing poorly. A dem. Boy, you start attacking the head of a labor union like that, uh, well, that's got to have uh, yeah, ramifications. On this. Remember, labor has been the most protectionist and anti-free trade. Mm. Uh, they, mm. correctly, uh, looking after the interest of their own members, have said free trade is bad for America. So traditionally, the unions have been, let's say, um, reluctant to go along with free trade agreements as a general principle. And traditionally, they do support the Democrats. And uh, so for him to have come out and said, no, we want Canada in, is very noteworthy. And also, for Trump to trash the head of a union on Labor Day is also noteworthy. Wow, wow, yeah, good point. Uh, why, you know, and I remember when the, when the free de- uh, trade deal was signed 20-some-odd uh, years ago, uh, as you mentioned, the majority of the labor unions were against all of this. Why are they now for this? Because, as he correctly pointed out, and as the unions have discovered, uh, over this time period, the market has become so integrated between among the three countries, and t- especially in terms of automotive parts and related uh, issues about that, that uh, it's going to be very disruptive if anything now tries to smash that integration which has grown up, which has led to prosperity for unions and union membership in all three states. So the, the unions have come around to saying it would be so harmful now to disrupt what is in existence and which has turned out to benefit us, uh, broadly speaking benefit us, that we are reluctant to, to smash it. But they also have been correct in America that free trade was designed, and I think this is totally forgotten, uh, that a lot of, and it, and it takes us into bigger issues, a lot of the reasons for the original free trade pact, remember we had a bilateral one, Canada and the U.S., one reason for bringing Mexico in was to pre- create, and it was part of a broader package of measure, measures, create prosperity in Mexico so Mexicans would stay at home, not come across the border into America, and create an immigration issue right. for America. Mm. And it worked. And Canada, meanwhile, was also very keen to get in on to do this because there was a protectionist mood in, the, in America at that point. We had to get in under that protectionist mood, and it worked. Uh, and we should probably come to a key point because the only way it did work was putting stuff in NAFTA that Canada insisted on and walked out on, well, actually in the pre-NAFTA, in the 
free trade uh, discussions prior to NAFTA, leading up to NAFTA, and that's what's the infamous Chapter 19. Mm. And this is the dispute resolution. Uh, we have to talk about that because that's what's going to happen on Wednesday. It's going to be front and center in the discussions. Chapter 19 is one of three different parts of NAFTA, which contain dispute resolution agreements, mechanisms. All trade agreements need them. Mm-hmm. You've got to have them someplace or another, somehow or another, or you fall back on the WTO, which you can do, and a few others. But, but most you know, free, free trade agreements need, need mechanisms for what do you do when you disagree. The U.S., in its opening position on renegotiation of NAFTA, listed elimination of Chapter 19, which is the, the, the central dispute resolution mechanism inside NAFTA, and Canada walked out in the past saying, if you don't put that in, and it was put in, uh, we can't sign anything. So the question now is, are we going to say 19 or nothing? Hmm. And my response to that has been, uh, my assumption is that this is well known, uh, that this was, I mean, it was announced on the first day of the renegotiations that this was going to be an issue. Surely we must assume that this has been worked on seriously by the Canadian side and by the American side, and for that matter, on the Mexican side, uh, all along. So that it doesn't, we have to assume they didn't say, oh, let's put a pin in that issue and talk about it later, and Wednesday now is later. We have to assume a lot of creative thought has been put into what do we do about dispute resolution mechanisms. Uh, It's been clear America didn't like that particular form, but Canada has taken part in multiple free trade uh, agreements around the world, and they all have something or another. So I'm assuming Canada has a creative way to respond to the need to reformulate. Well, heck, just move it to another chapter. So you know, but but well, they, this was all in around the sunset clause, was it not? And I mean that they wanted to renegotiate this every five years. Well, the sunset clause is a different one. The sunset clause said America suddenly out of the blue said, not only do we want to renegotiate NAFTA, but we want to have a sunset clause in the renegotiated. The new agreement right. has to have built into it whatever we agree that uh, after five years it dies unless we all get together again and say, okay, we'll, we'll consider. But it's an automatic death, the sunset clause. Right, but the Mexican and U.S. deal overcame that, correct? Well, no, uh, not Didn't exactly. they question it every six years? And yes, then... well, they, they did in terms of, and this is, I think, a key point, the Americans were flexible on the sunset clause with the Mexicans. And they said, yes, you're quite right, uh, so why would they not be the same with Canada on that? Well, they might mm-hmm. on that issue. It's if, but if, they, if you tie that now to Chapter 19, right. then it's a, a different thing. I, we have to remind ourselves also, everything we're talking about is based on negotiations between, in this case, the U.S. and Mexico, a text which has never been released, and a year's worth of consultations, negotiations behind closed doors. So we're grasping at straws as to what the actual content is. But one of the possibilities was, and this was in today's newspapers, that there would be a sunset clause attached to Chapter 19. So that, you know, we'll keep it. But after five years or whatever agreed time period, uh, that particular trade mechanism will, will die. So that's, but my point about that is it shows that creative thinking is being put on all sides as to what to do to satisfy America's demand that their their sovereignty not be uh, appear to be circumscribed 
through a mechanism that has all three countries on a, on a trade panel, and at the same time have still within NAFTA a satisfactory trade dispute resolution. So, again, we have to assume that everybody's been working on what was known to be a deal-breaker from day one. We have to assume they've been working on it since day one to get to the point of Wednesday. Got about 30 seconds left. We, you talked about how earlier you can't depend on Congress just to, to take care of all of this. That being said, when you get the head of this union saying to Fox News, I don't see how NAFTA works without Canada, does that influence Congress? It should influence the Democrats in Congress. We're, we're into an election here. So yeah. You're trying to add what we're talking about into a labor. Right now, there's Supreme Court hearings uh, for Kavanaugh's going on, and that's a huge, big-ticket item in America. So it's, we're trying to dump this issue into a Congress which is already overburdened, which has politics on their mind. And yes, we've done, I think Canada's done an excellent job of reminding all the state governors, all the key uh, uh, people in Congress, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, just how important NAFTA is to America. And that's, it's, it's coming home to roost. It's paying off now. It's paying off to the degree it can pay off with this president at this time. Elliot Tepper has been with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. Always fascinating. Elliot, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Nike has teamed up with Colin Kaepernick, the one who inspired the kneeling protest for uh, and it turns out this is for the 30th anniversary of the Nike Just Do It campaign. Uh, good move, bad move, and all the different, uh, I guess, um, some people upset, some people happy, some people not so happy. The uh, response has been divided. Let's bring in Carrie Kaplan, founder and president of Cosmo Sports and Entertainment, on the line with us now. Carrie, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Thanks. My pleasure. First, are you surprised at this? Yeah, it is a surprise. I didn't expect it. I think it came out a little bit out of out of the blue. But um, uh, but kudos to Nike. All right, for those who may not know this story, give us a bit of backstory here. Well, I think there's a lot. I mean, Colin Kaepernick. For those who don't know, I think most people know by now. But he uh, he kneeled at an NFL game in essence in protest for uh, violence against African Americans. Um, you know, there, there's I'm. You know, there's there's a lot of different explanations on on that, but that's that's the sum of it. And and since then, in short, he's had an inability to get a job in the NFL. And uh, the assumption by virtually all the experts is that he's more than qualified to play at the league level. But has because of the controversy that uh, surrounds it, no team has been willing to really take a chance on that. And then, um, you know, that's been much of the story until today where Nike um, decided, uh, you know, we believe in in, in Colin Kaepernick and, and some of the things he's thinking. And then they sounds like they've made a very substantial investment in um, with him. Talk about the relationship between the NFL and Nike. Well, I think the NFL and Nike have a long-standing relationship. That's why the you know it's even more controversial, uh, or it creates some controversy, is that Nike and the NFL have uh, um, they've had ties uh, for a long time. But uh, again, Nike's Nike's historically been uh, leading edge. They're one of those companies that has not been afraid to push the envelope historically, and they've done things that were. Um, uh, 
either controversial or progressive, and they've been doing that for for a long time. And you know, the question is, who's on the right side of history? I think it's sort of it. And there's, you know, there, there, there. The United States these days is extremely divided. There's a lot of people that are commending it. There's a, there's people that are burning their Colin Kaepernick. Uh, we're seeing that all. We're seeing that all over social media now. Where right, you right. know, here's uh, just burn it instead of just do it, and uh, people right. setting their their shoes ablaze. How far is this going to go? Well, I think there's a lot. You know, you can see there's never been anything, at least in my lifetime, the the, the strength of the right wing and uh, you know Donald Trump's presidency. I, I, I don't I don't remember at least in in many decades where the country is this divided. So there's, um, uh, but again, I, I think it's going to go pretty far. But I think in the end, the Nike's making a long a long play here and saying, look, we um, we believe that that. What Colin stands for uh, um, is good, and it's consistent with our beliefs. So, what what is right now? What what are they thinking about inside the NFL boardrooms right now? How are they talking about Nike? What are they saying about Nike in those private meetings right well, now? Well, the NFL boardrooms have been. It would have been nice to be a fly on the wall. I mean, they've had huge stresses. You know, the, the concussion issues are massive. Yeah. The you know, can players you know the the players on the sidelines the um, suggestions of racism throughout the NFL in a variety of ca- capacities. You know the the relationship, on again, off again relationship with the president. I think it's just another uh, another battle for the NFL to deal with. But I, I think in this case they they it's their error. You know, the, 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 and without knowing all the all the rationale, it still feels like um, a really strong case of collusion. Um, and you know, there's, there's uh, that that Kaepernick hasn't been able to get a job in the in a league that he's um, more than qualified to play in. So it's just another another um, item in that long line of um, of controversy that they've been dealing with. Will the NFL punish Nike in some way fiscally for the stance that they've taken on this? Well, it's hard for the NFL to do that. You know, the, 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 you're extremely dependent, and uh, you know your corporate sponsors are a big part of what you do. I think it wouldn't be smart. For, it would not be smart for the NFL to to do that. I think that you know, and if they did, then then what does that speak to? If you're going to punish the league because they're working with Colin Kaepernick, I think the NFL lawyers would tell them. Uh, that's a really bad idea to say that we're gonna we're gonna punish you for um, uh, doing work with uh, what is a disenfranchised player. So I, I don't think the NFL they're not in a good position to to do anything along those lines. Now that Nike has t- taken this stand and, and and made this very public, can the NFL just ignore this now? I don't. The NFL is a tough time. I think they're going to have to ignore. Like the the other one that comes to mind is Nike can go different directions. The one they thought was interesting when everybody left Tiger Woods, Nike stuck with Tiger Woods in the deepest of the deepest of controversies. The only company that really said we're not going anywhere, we're going to stick with Tiger was Nike. Um, so again, Nike. They they're strong enough and they feel comfortable comfortable enough to make their own decisions. I, I think they put the NFL in a. I don't think there's much the NFL can do. I think they can, uh, um, and I think they've got to even be very careful to have any statements that are negative regarding this. Again, it's an it's 
Um, it's Nike and an individual's player's right to, or former player's right to, to work together on this. And in some ways, it's really none of the NFL's business. Uh, can Nike sway the opinion of the NFL on some of these matters? Will this help instigate change within the NFL? Well, I hope so. I, I think the NFL is uh, slow to change in a lot of areas. I think what the battle here is for the fans. So are the fans, what, what the NFL doesn't want to do is lose fans who are um, pro-Kaepernick or and that's the battle they're dealing with with you know and it's a tricky one because you know every you know people are very patriotic in the states you want to stand for the national anthem you question um Collins kneeling and but I think where the battle what the NFL is most concerned with and attendance and television numbers have dropped off in recent years for the NFL they they can't do anything to afford to lose any greater fan base so I think they've got to I think their position they're better off being quiet and careful as opposed to taking a anti-Nike or anti-Kaepernick stand. Why why are they losing that audience? Does it have anything to do with their lack of, uh, you know, progressive policy moving forward? Yeah, I think it's a part of it. I think there's a lot of people that are less comfortable watching the NFL and have chosen to watch other sports. They, you know, there's a... Um, Again, the concussion. Why, why, why is that? Why do you think that is? Well, I think I think Kaepernick. The, the whole thing with Colin Kaepernick and um, yeah. the, is a, is a part of it, and that was a you know, and um, again, the NFL's uh, you know, the question is is the NF does the NFL have any racially motivated tendencies? Are they making any decisions that are unethical or racial? Or so that's one. And then the concussion issue is a huge problem too. It feels like the NFL's put their head in the sand on the fact that I think it's 93% of 93% of former mm. football players that had their brains tested were there was some damage there so I think the you know in a lot of ways they're they're behind the times you know you look at the NFL you look at the United States even in their uh little league NFL pro, or little league football uh leagues and 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 the whole high school experience down there do you think it's this is bleeding through to 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 those sports as well to those I, leagues I don't I don't think it's there yet I mean NFL football um, high school football in you know the United States most parts in Texas and Alabama and yeah. Mississippi is huge yeah. it's bigger than hockey is in Canada and people don't necessarily understand. So it's deeply ingrained there, but in the north, you even look at university football. My God, it's huge. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's unbelievable. So it's hard to dent that. But I think it's starting. There's some erosion, and uh, it may take a generation or two. But I, I think the NFL's got to um, solve it. It's it, they're going in the wrong direction. It's a slow erosion, but right now football's. Football's going in the wrong direction as opposed to other sports. Getting back to the Kaepernick thing, how much does this hurt the NFL? Can they can they move forward without doing anything? Do they have to react? I mean, can is this going away? Well, I think the best thing is to not react. I think there's going to be a tendency to react, but I think where they make it worse, this is one of those things where I think it will it'll quiet down. You know, and Nike's working with Colin Kaepernick. That's fine. That won't be as big a story in two weeks. The story will be if the NFL has some opposition, then uh, if it's warranted or not, people will say, well, you know, why is the NFL a multi-billion dollar organization fighting against one person's um, 
uh, corporate deal with Nike. So they're smart. You know, they are much smarter to stay stay quiet uh, on this and, and let it blow over, as opposed to almost anything they say is going to is, is going to hurt them here. What does this do for Kaepernick now that he's on board with Nike? I mean, could that all of a sudden make the NFL look well? Geez, maybe his not his name's not mud anymore. Yeah, well, I think Kaepernick is, you know, he's held to his guns. I mean, he's a, um, you know, which I, was never his original intent, but I think he's, people look up to him and for what he did um, in a lot of different circles in the United States, and he's stuck with it. He hasn't conceded. He hasn't said, I regret what he did. He hasn't apologized. He hasn't gone back and, you know, hat in hand and say, I need to have a job in the NFL. So he's, I think he's... Uh, his brand, the Kaepernick brand, is stronger than it's ever been. Yeah, you're going to have opposition, and you're going to have, you know, um, but uh, credit to him to holding to his position. And I think overall, I would say credit to Nike to, to say we're going to be progressive. And we're going to try, and I think what Nike's trying to do is balance both sides. Saying, mm-hmm. look, we can support the NFL, and we can also support Colin Ka- Kaepernick. And if the uh, the NFL would be best to accept that as opposed to try and fight it. How big a decision do you think this was in uh, among the uh, the Nike brass? I mean, again, picture, speaking of being a flying on the wall of a boardroom, what, what, is, what do you think that discussion would have been like when they're saying, hey, I think we should do this? Yeah, I, that's a great question. That's a big decision. You know, And their stock went down today. You yeah, know, it went down like 3%. Yeah. That's right. It's a lot of money. But I think they, what Nike's done, and, and I liken Nike to, Apple and Google and some of the companies that they've been historically progressive. You, know, you think of a company that's just in essence an apparel company, but yeah. they've transcended that. You know, you don't. I, I can't picture Reebok or Adidas or Puma or Umbro doing this type of deal. Nike has for decades um, said we're going to le- be the leader and we're going to go into places that are uncomfortable for other brands. And I think that's the kind of thing. So I think in the boardroom, it, to me, it shows that there's still progressive thinkers. Nike wants to remain number one. And there's, you know, they're going to, some people might burn their Nike hats, but there's other people that went out to the store today and bought, bought. more. Yeah, that's exactly, right. So yeah. I think in the end, I think in the long term, it's a good move. for Nike. And you know that there were people that must have been around that boardroom table that were saying, we can't touch this with a 10 foot pole. We have to run in the other direction. That's right. So, but you know, I think again, there were enough progressive people in the room that won the day and very few companies would do that. Which shows the NFL, none of the NFL team, you know, one of the NFL teams could have done the same thing. You know, why did the mm. Denver Broncos or Dallas Cowboys, somebody not say, look, we're going to embrace Kaepernick. He can play in this league. He can play in our team. Well, none of the NFL teams did that. But Nike kind of, you know, looked at a void there. They, I'm sure they had dialogue with Colin and his people to, to make sure that he'd be an ambassador for them. But this isn't a small deal. What they're talking about is that they're, it's a big a huge partnership with Colin Kaepernick and the millions of dollars, you know, likening likening it to some of their biggest endorsement deals. So I think they... And he's not even playing. He's not even playing. So Nike, but, you know, Nike's, you know, the funny thing is Michael Jordan is still the number one. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the world, he hasn't played in decades. But at least so that was by choice, you know. Uh, do you think do you think Kaepernick will play again? I don't know. I don't know if that matters now. I think, yeah. he, I think it might even be harder to play now. Yeah, why bother uh, getting hurt? That, right. Why bother getting hurt? I think he's his brand. You know, he played at the highest level of the NFL in one point. I think he's 
his, you know, there's an argument that his brand may be stronger in the long term if he doesn't play again. Yeah, good point. What about other sports? How have other sports stayed away from this? What are they learning from this? Uh, I don't know if I think the NFL, I think they're watching. I think the NFL's gone through more turmoil than any of the other major sports. I think if you're basketball or baseball or um, hockey or you know you're looking and you know trying to learn from the challenges that uh, uh, that have affected the NFL here. But I, I you know I, I would say it's really the last 24 months the NFL has been uh, uh, impacted uh, more than any other sport. So what's the policy now moving forward with kneeling in regard to the NFL, and how come we haven't seen this in other sports? I think the policy is now you can, I think what they're saying, and they're going, you know, it'll be interesting when the season starts. I think um, my understanding is if you don't want to support, if you've got a, you know, if if you're in opposition to the national anthem or you're protesting, you can do the protest in the, dressing room yeah, so you don't have room, to come yeah. out right but you're not allowed to uh, kneel on the sidelines so what'll be interesting is will players defy that and what if the top player do you know if if tom brady kneels on the sideline what happens Aaron especially Rodgers, you know, especially what do you do? especially after this deal that kaepernick just got right so what do you do so the nfl you know is there um, so i think what the nfl is hoping is that the players abide by uh, the new rules and they protest quietly, but you, I don't know, you feel like that the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see not only what the players do, but uh, how the league and the teams deal with it. Will this only get uglier before it gets prettier? Uh, I think there's a little bit, again, the NFL's best position here, it's up to the NFL. If they come out and fight back, yeah. and I think it can get worse. If the NFL stays relatively quiet, on it, I think it. I don't think it. I, I think it can. At least the Nike part of it can uh, can go go. I wouldn't say go away, but it will decrease in in its potency. And I think the other players are looking, waiting to see what the NFL does. So again, I think it's in the NFL's hands. I hope they have their public relations advisors are smart enough to tell them to not say anything inflammatory here because that'll just make it worse. On the other hand, it's like, you know, players don't want to speak up, don't want to do anything, don't want to react because not only with the team and, 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 and the game itself, but also don't want to ruin any, any chance for their own endorsement. However, now that could be the attraction. Right, right. Well, when you see the money that... Exactly. Now, mean Why am I obeying right. myself when this guy's not even playing anymore right. and he's That's making more right. money than I am? That's right. Now, it doesn't mean that the next 10 guys... Yeah, exactly. Cap- I mean, I think the next guy may not get that endorsement deal than Capri. Yeah. He's really been the leader of this cause, and I think if someone else thinks that Nike's going to hand out 10 similar deals, yeah. it's unlikely. But but I do think it makes players think. Say, look, this uh, Colin did this, and... Uh, it worked. We, it worked, and we respect what he did. And so I think a lot of players within their own, you know, the players that are most progressive in these areas have a dilemma. They're deciding, um, should I just go play football? Should I do any type of protest? I think that's going to be interesting to see what type of, um, what's on, particularly the high-profile players. Because if it's a low-end low end player, it's almost easier for the team to deal with it. If it's a high-end marquee player, uh, it'll, it'll be really tricky. Kerry Kaplan has been with us, founder and president of Cosmo Sports and Entertainment. Nike te- uh, teaming up with Colin Kaepernick for the 30th anniversary of their Just Do It campaign. Kerry, thanks so much for the time and insight. It should be fascinating to watch this unfold. Uh, 
Absolutely. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.